Okay, one, one second now. Two Timothy, chapter four, verse nine. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he, is, he strongly opposed our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me <coughs> from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the, whole, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Well, the news uh, this week has been slightly dominated, hasn't it, by the, the heat wave uh, that we've been going through. And it's made, I guess, life fairly tough for, for quite a number of people. Transport certainly has struggled, hasn't it? You go down to the Eurotunnel, um, it's been quite appalling, all the kind of the five-hour waits and so on. The, the tube I saw had hit nearly record temperatures. Some of you have enjoyed that on your commutes, I'm sure. And trains have suffered delays, and I was on a train this week, and let's say the, the conditions were slightly uncomfortable, shall we say, and maybe a little bit smelly too. Hospitals, well, they've, they've been suffering as well, haven't they? We've seen uh, kind of there are stretches, they have been in the, the, the kind of the peak of winter. People have found themselves planning their days of moving from air-conditioned stores to uh, an air-conditioned cabin. As anywhere where you could find any cool breeze has just been the way of this, uh, this week, hasn't it? Now, I guess for many of us, it's just been a minor inconvenience, a little bit of warm weather. And in comparison to our regular rain-strewn summers, it's been quite a pleasant change. But for the elderly, for the vulnerable, for those who work outside, I guess, as well, these have been tough times. They've been tough times. As I said, we, we spent 10 weeks uh, looking at this letter from Paul to Timothy, and both Paul and Timothy, in their own very different ways, are also facing tough times. Paul is facing tough times because he's writing in chains uh, from a cold, very dark, damp cell. He's writing to Timothy, who's leading a church in Ephesus who is also facing tough times. Uh, now, for different reasons. The young church in Ephesus uh, has had some false teachers going in and about amongst the group, and uh, their message is dangerous. 
We saw back in chapter 1, it was like gangrene. That is, it spreads and it eventually kills spiritually. And this letter, especially this last chapter, these are Paul's last recorded words. And he knows he will soon be executed. Uh, But his eyes and his heart, as I've said before, and his mind, they're not consumed with what's going on around him. His times now. He's all focused on what lies ahead. But actually, he's also burdened to keep Timothy going when he's gone. Timothy, as you remember back in chapter 1, is his dear son in the faith. He's encouraged Timothy to guard the good deposit of the faith, to continue on, to keep preaching the word, however difficult that is and however weak he feels. Paul loves Timothy, but he knows his personality. He knows the circumstances in Ephesus. And Paul, therefore, in a sense, uses his own tough times to embolden Timothy in his tough times. And as Paul closes his final letter, he shows Timothy, as he shows us, the necessity, and you see on your sheets, are tough friends for tough times. Tough friends for tough times. I don't know, when you, when you think of Paul, what, what do you imagine? What's the kind of person you imagine? It's easy to create, isn't it, kind of a caricature of this, you know, strength and boldness of a man who... Uh, but often people forget... And slightly ignore his weakness and his frailty. Now, of course, Paul was incredibly bold. He was a strong man, an incredibly intelligent man as well. But few men in history have suffered more. He was persecuted again and again. He suffered illness, his thorn in the flesh, which he mentions uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, But also, uh, if you read in 2 Corinthians 7, for example, verse 6, he was also downcast. Likely depressed. And there in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 6, when downcast, he was comforted in that situation by a man called Titus. Titus came to him. It's interesting, isn't it? He's depressed, he's, he's downcast. And it's not a change of his circumstances or getting more stuff, you know, getting a nicer car, house, a better job. Or, none of that changed his, how he feels. None of that brought him joy. It was through a friend. It was through the listening ear of a friend, the touch of a friend, the wisdom of a friend. That is what brought Paul greater joy than ever, he writes. Titus physically came to comfort Paul. But interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul credits God as the one who comforted him. And what Paul is showing us there is that God can and will use means He will use people. He will use us if we're prepared to be tough friends for tough times. And now here, in 2 Timothy, Paul has already prayed thanking God for, uh, whatever we call him, Anisiphorus, who, like Titus, brought comfort to Paul in tough times. If you flip back to chapter 1, verse 16, that is exactly the role that Anisiphorus plays there. He goes, and after Paul's arrest, he goes to see him. Everyone else has deserted Paul, but it seems Anisiphorus had remained faithful, a faithful friend and a comforter, probably risking his own life in order to get to Paul in jail to refresh him, as we see in chapter 1, verse 17. And now we get to chapter 4, and we see Paul now requesting Timothy to come to him. To join him. Look at it, verse 9. He says, 
Do your best to come to me quickly. And, and you have to ask the question, and lots of people do, who is this for? Is it for Paul, who's going through tough times, or is it for Timothy, who's going through tough times? And so we have to think about the context, what's come before and after. And we see in the previous paragraph, there's never been a hint that Paul is in any way needing of Timothy. I mean, look back at verse 7, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I have kept the faith. Yes, Paul is suffering terrible, in terrible circumstances, but his eyes and his heart were fixed firmly on the better by far, not the chains of the present. Oh, Timothy's, you see, a number of months away from Paul. The journey would have taken that kind of time. It was long and it was risky, but... Timothy, you see, is Paul's dear son, as he describes him in chapter 1. And some have suggested that Paul is here being selfish in asking Timothy to come all that way, or taking all those risks, to come away from Ephesus, the vulnerable church. Is Paul being selfish here? Well, to be honest, I think people who say that really don't understand friendship. There are some things you just can't say via an email or a text. It seems there are some things that Paul wants to say before his departure that he must pass on to Timothy. And in verse 12, we see that Paul has sent uh, Tychicus to Ephesus, probably with this letter that he's, he's writing here, who was likely to look after the church there while Timothy came to Paul in Rome. So you see, the need for tough friends in tough times is for Timothy, but I actually think it's also for Paul. Particularly as we see in verse 10. Look at verse 10. You see, first uh, says, do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy. Why? Because Demas, he loved the world, has deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now, Demas is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament, uh, and he's actually you know, portrayed as in a positive light elsewhere. He was a man of huge potential, it seems. In Philemon, for example, the letter there in verse 24, there he's one who's a fellow worker in the gospel with Paul. He's also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. And Paul greets the church, in a sense, and greets Demas there. He's working and making the gospel known. You see, this is no bad carrier for Paul. Demas is, a, is a, a fellow trusted gospel worker, trained by Paul, trusted by Paul. But now as Paul is arrested in Rome, he, he sees the circumstances, he sees what Paul is going through, and he bolts. because he, he just can't handle it. And off he goes to Thessalonica. Oh, he's not given up the faith. He's gone to another church. He's gone to another place. He just can't handle, it seems, the heat of the situation. He wants to be part of a a less burdensome church, if you like. That is, it seems he cares more for his life and his circumstances than he did for Paul. He was a consumer more than he was a friend. As it says, he loved the world. Times had got tough and demons had run. And clearly this had hit Paul hard. And we expect hits from enemies, don't you? You know when you, people who oppose you, you know, they kind of knock you and kind of hit you down. You kind of expect that and you're kind of, re, re, kind of resistant to that. But you know what it's like when those who are close to you hurt you or desert you. It is the greatest stab of all, isn't it? And in Demas running in the hurt 
that Paul knew it had reminded of the reminded Paul of the others that had left as well. We see Christians had gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Now it seems that both of those men had gone off for good reason. They'd gone to spread the gospel uh, around the area. But it heightens Paul's need here for Timothy to come. He isn't alone. But he certainly does feel alone, which doesn't say much for Luke, does it, when you get to verse 11. Only Luke is with me, uh, he says to Timothy. But then he goes on, get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now Luke is there, but it seems that, you know, there's certainly a friendship there. uh, But he wants more, he wants his dear son Timothy. And Luke being there shouldn't really surprise us, Luke is always there. With Paul. Wherever you look, Luke is there. Uh, Dr. Luke, as we know him. He's there in uh, Philemon, you would say, Paul uh, in his missionary journeys. In many of the passages in Acts, for example, you know, Acts is written by Luke, and uh, many of the passages where it says, We, we went to, we preached, that's Luke and Paul together. And Luke is a doctor, he's a a detailed biographer of Jesus, the early church, and Paul's life, and a fellow worker in the gospel. But also he's a tough friend, isn't he? He's stuck it out. He's a tough friend for tough times. And he loved Paul, and despite the terrible circumstances, he's not going to leave or desert like Demas had. But Paul wants Mark and Timothy to come too. Interestingly, Mark, Mark's a fascinating one, isn't he? Because Mark is the one, if you remember on Paul's first missionary journey, is the one who got so far and then said, no, I'm going to turn back. And Paul considered that a desertion. Likewise, uh, there was a disagreement in the second missionary journey. Uh, and, but what happened in the end? Something had happened between that time and this time when he writes here, Paul writes, because now Mark is considered an essential gospel partner. Isn't that a lovely picture? Mark is the rejected one, the one who disgraced himself. He was the past failure. And surely that acts as a reminder to all of us that our past doesn't disqualify us from the gospel or to be useful for the gospel. Now look at the team. It's extraordinary, isn't it? The team that Paul is kind of gathering around. We've got Luke the doctor, the long-suffering friend, the biographer, who's absolutely given everything, his whole life for Paul. We've got Mark, in a sense, the successful failure, now the indispensable partner. And we've got Timothy, the gentle, kind, timid, sensitive one, Paul's dear son in the faith. And they will gather around Paul. That's Paul's intention in this writing here. They will gather around Paul to strengthen him, but also to be strengthened as well in their tough times. Because they will inevitably face them as they go ahead. Verse 13 is interesting, isn't it? It's very practical. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul wants to be physically strengthened with the warmth of his cloak. It was very cold. Winter was coming. But they will all be strengthened spiritually as they open up the scrolls and the parchments. But that's probably scripture, but also probably some of Paul's writings as well that we now have in the Bibles in front of us. But can you imagine that? The intensity of those times. These four gathered together around the parchments and the scrolls. Uh, you know, unpicking scripture, seeing how Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament. It get Paul just rubbing their noses in scripture day and night learning together, probably planning together, probably just strategizing. Who's going to go there? Who's going to go there and take the gospel out? 
As I said earlier, you can think that this situation is all a bit selfish. Paul requesting these men to come to him. But Paul knew the value. He knew firstly the value of, of good friends and he knew the value of friends strengthening each other for tough times. And do you know the result? Of those three men that Paul is requesting to come to him, of those three men, they are responsible for over half of what we have of the New Testament today. They were tough friends for tough times. And they knew tough times were ahead. Look at verse 14 and 15. Paul warns them of this man, Alexander, the metal worker. He did a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he's done. Justice will be done there. But you too should be on guard, on your guard against him because he will strongly oppose our message. There's a reality check there, isn't there? Uh, but I need to ask, as we, as before we move on, it says what kind of friend are you? What kind of people do you draw around you during tough times? So often our default is to isolate ourselves when things are difficult. Oh, we, it's a, such a British thing, isn't it? Oh, we don't want to be a burden. But that is such a dangerous place to put ourselves in because in so doing, we do not allow God through the means he chooses, that is our friends, to bring comfort, encouragement and necessary relief. Paul is about to die. He's fought the good fight. He's finished the race. He's kept the faith. He isn't looking down his chains, but to the eternal journey to come. But he will not isolate himself. And even in his most weakest point, he needs strengthening and emboldening. And he knows he needs his friends around him. Luke, Mark and Timothy most likely saw Paul die. They most likely saw Paul breathe his last. They saw him at his weakest, at his toughest of times. But all they saw strengthened him then. Because all they saw was a sense of victory. All they saw was triumph, wasn't it? Because Paul had kept the faith to the end and simply departed to the better by far. To see Jesus face to face. We need and can be tough friends for tough times. Start now, if you haven't already. And be very thankful if you know a Mark, a Luke and a Timothy. Of course, don't be a Demas and consume and be selfish. Give and be given to. We need tough friends for tough times. But Paul also recalls, we see our second point, courage and rescue for tough times. Look at this. Uh, 16 with me for a moment. At my first offence, no one came to my support, he says, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. We need courage and rescue for, for tough times. What Paul is doing here is he's looking back, not to his imprisonment now, but to his imprisonment, his first imprisonment in Jerusalem and the trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, if, if you know that story, it's in Acts 23. You can read it later if you like. And it was a chaotic situation. Uh, there he was, Luke and his other friends. Uh, probably, it seems, were away on mission. The whole church in Jerusalem had, had deserted him. He was on his own in front of this really chaotic situation in trial. 
And at his trial, the Jewish leaders heard Paul speak of Jesus as the risen Messiah, and they went absolutely crazy. Paul was struck on the mouth, and eventually Roman troops were called for in fear that, and the text reads that in fear that Paul would actually be ripped to pieces. In Acts 23, we read he was taken back to the barracks for his own safety. And in the following night, Acts 23, verse 11, something extraordinary happens. The Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, stands beside Paul, physically near Paul, and he says this. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And Paul had done just that. Now having preached the gospel in Rome, he now sat imprisoned in Rome. He'd done the double, hadn't he? Jerusalem and Rome, preached, imprisoned, uh, preached and imprisoned. He isn't gloomily looking down his chains, his current circumstances. What's he doing now chained in uh, Rome? What's he doing? He's recalling that moment where the Lord physically presents himself amongst him and said those words. Look at verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. He remembers probably how bruised and battered he was and how the Lord Jesus, in and through that, had strengthened him. His friends were to strengthen him, but Jesus was to strengthen him too. And how does he do it? Through his word. Interestingly, what Paul is recalling here in verse 17, which is recorded in Acts 23, is when Jesus greets Paul... He greets him in the original language with just one single word. In Acts 23 it says, take courage, but it's just one single word. And that word is just courage. And the extraordinary thing about that word is that only Jesus uses it in the whole of the New Testament. And he uses it only five times, four times in the Gospels, to strengthen and embolden people in their tough times. And one time in Acts 23, verse 11, where he presents himself beside Paul and emboldens him to go out and preach the gospel. It's this funny little word, Tharsai, take comfort sometimes, it is translated, or courage. And it seems it's like Jesus' special word to his faithful followers in tough times. Courage. Courage. And Paul needed that. At this point, uh, from hearing that word from Jesus, he'd, he'd received 205 lashes on his back. He was all alone. The whole church had deserted him, and yet he clings. As he clings now in, in 2 Timothy 4 in Rome, uh, to one word, courage. And Paul did take courage. Because he didn't stop in Jerusalem. He went on from there for a number of years, and preached, and preached, and preached to thousands. And the early church grew as a result of him taking courage. As we see in verse 17, but the Lord stood at my side, gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. What does that look like? How do we take courage and be, and be strengthened? Well, if we were to follow Paul, we, we do so by trusting God's word. Paul was strengthened as he heard God's word and he trusted because he knew God's power and faithfulness. 
And we see at the end of verse uh, 17 as well, Paul says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. That is, he's saying, and I was delivered from death there, literally. By saying the lion's mouth, though, he's conjuring up all sorts of images, isn't he? Probably of Daniel and the lion's den as well. And perhaps also the kings and the emperors, because sometimes Nero was described as the lion. But what what Paul seems to be recalling is that despite the ferocity of any lion, God was with him and God would rescue him even from death. We see that again and again in Daniel and likewise with Paul. And so what he's doing here is he's confidently trusting the promises of God in his word. As verse 18 says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. You see, whatever lies ahead, whatever lies ahead for Paul, however long he has left, even if Timothy doesn't get to him before he dies, even if he suffers the most gruesome of deaths, and he did, ultimately he knew that no lion he faced could thwart the rescue and safety provided by Christ. Paul knew he was heaven bound. Hence why he finishes verse 18 with just a, it's just an explosion, isn't it? He can't help himself. He's just got to praise God for this point. And there he is. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He just can't hold back because God deserves all the praise. Now Paul is at his end. But he recalls the word of Christ And the courage he brings to keep going. He also knows that whatever happens, whether he can continue or more likely that if he dies, ultimately, rescue is found through faith in Christ. Courage and rescue for tough times. But know what Paul is doing here. It's nothing more than just recalling God's word in tough times, and we would be wise to follow his example. See, as I said before, in tough times, our default can be to isolate ourselves from our friends, to think we can do it alone. We don't want to be a burden. And likewise, we can also put ourselves in danger when we retreat from God and his word through tough times. Well, Paul looked death in the face and roared back at the lion. Because he trusted God's word for the present. He had courage. But he also trusted God's word for the future, however short that was. He wasn't alone in that cell. He had friends, but he also had Christ. He knew from God's word that Christ was in him and he was in Christ. So for the tough times that lie ahead, make sure you can roar back at that lion, trusting in the word of God. Now, Paul finishes every letter as he does, uh, and he does the same here, with greetings and grace. Greetings and grace. It's very easy, isn't it? You get to the end of Paul's letter and you think, oh, it's just a list of names, it's a bunch of stuff, practical stuff. Let's just kind of like hop, skip and jump and get to the bit where it says amen, and then we can close the Bible and go, it'll be fine. Don't overlook the significance, please. Names are really significant to Paul. They would assure his readers that they were important and treasured in his heart. Look at them at verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Anisiphorus. Priscilla and Aquila, we know about them. They served in the church in Ephesus, also with Paul in Rome and in Corinth. And now they were back in Ephesus serving with Timothy. And Paul wants to commend them and greet them. He greets the household of Anisiphorus, perhaps 
not Onesiphorus himself. Isn't it interesting that, isn't it? He had come to refresh Paul, we know, from chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. But maybe he died on the way back. And so he's just greeting the household now. Oh, we don't know. But that's what certain people think. Verse 20, Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Now, Timothy would know what to do with these men and uh, uh, we don't know lots about, we know little about them, but uh, Timothy would know. And it's important he knows because he could take care of things. Verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. Now we know that Paul longed for Timothy to get there soon. But Paul also knew that the shipping lanes would have been closed. That is, you couldn't travel that journey from east to west uh, any time from mid-November to about mid-March. And so he said, get here before the winter. Because if you don't do it now, it's kind of, it's kind of now or never, um, Timothy. Paul sends greetings from, from a number of men and women from the church in Rome. And again, we know little about them with the exception of Linus. Linus in, in not biblical history, but kind of uh, broader history, certainly uh, Greco-Roman history. We know that he became the leader of the Roman church after Peter the Apostle died. These are important people. And Paul greets them to recognise that they are such. Paul sends greetings, but he also sends grace. The first part of verse 22 is essentially a personal note to his beloved dear son, Timothy. It's written in the singular. It's for Timothy and Timothy alone. The Lord be with your spirit. Can you imagine how he felt if he got that from Paul? And then he goes on and says, Grace be with you all. Again, this is now written in the plural. So it's for all those who would read this letter down to us today. And do you know the word grace? The, great, the word grace appears in every single one of Paul's benedictions. That's the, the kind of the closing statements at the end of his letters. In every single one, he sends grace. He has spoken of the need for tough friends for tough times. He's recalled uh, the courage he gains from trusting God's word and the ultimate rescue secured in Christ. But now as he signs off, his last words bring it all together. Paul's ultimate wish and ultimate word was grace. Paul longed for Timothy and the church in Ephesus and you and I today that God's unmerited favour, his forgiveness and his enabling power, his grace, will be poured out on you and me. Grace be with you. Today, tomorrow. Oh, in the good days, but also the bad days, because there will be tough times. Courage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you very much for this personal uh, letter from Paul, the one who was about to depart, to Timothy, the one who was struggling in a, in a difficult situation in the church in Ephesus. Lord, thank you for all the reminders that we have had over these weeks of being able to see uh, your gospel at work, the challenges that those faces, and the strengthening that we need through your word and by your spirit, and one another as we work together to make the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus known. 
Please strengthen us, I pray, by your word and by your spirit. Amen.